is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Hey, it's Jacqueline with SystemsForSelfCare.com, where I teach you to consistently take daily action so you can feel happier, healthier, and more confident. Today, I have an expert on running, an old friend, an old guest, Steve Carmichael from Run Buzz. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Doing yeah. Great. I should have gone back to see, but you, I was the, I think well, your podcast was one of the first that I had done and you being on mine was one of the first, uh, close to first intro, uh, interviews that I done. So it's great to connect back several years later. Yeah. I look back, it was July, 2018. I had you on, on my oh, show. Yeah. I was like, I was like, when, when was that? That was a while back. <laughs> right. No, that was right after we got married. I think I was like, Hey, my life is about is like falling apart right now because we got married and we moved and yeah, so that's so cool. Um, back in the summer and right now it is basically winter. When I woke up this morning, it was like in the 30s and there's like frost on the ground and there was frost on my windshield and I was like, wow, like winter is here. And so I'm excited to have you on and do a winter, a cold running episode. I always say like I, it's I need guests that are experts in these things. Um, and you know, you know, everything. So <laughs> give you a lot of credit. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But so I, so here's the things that I find that I hear from like listeners or clients and especially those of us that live in the Midwest where it is like, it's no, it's already winter. It's already winter. And we're kind of like, I don't want to be outside. So let's just start with that. Like, is that something you hear from people or you've experienced yourself? Yeah. All the time. It's, it, you see a lot of runners who will take it indoors in the in the winter and run more on treadmills. And there's certainly good times to do that. Um, but I also like training outside. I I enjoy outside weather. I enjoy the the cold air, even though it's uncomfortable at first. And and uh, I I train year round. I train on weekends. I train uh, middle school, high school athletes in cross country and track, and and it's their off season training and. One thing I learned very quick was I don't, I don't tolerate cold very well. <laughs> and uh, I, I, but I noticed something I was standing out, you know, going back to back sessions outdoors in the wintertime. And after a couple of weeks, I noticed that I was adapting and I wasn't as cold anymore. The first couple of weeks I was out in cold weather, it just felt miserable. I, I would hope that the next person was late so I could go crawl in my car and turn the heater on and try to warm up. And, and, but what I found was, is that it wasn't always the cold um, weather gear that made me feel better. I think there's a, an acclimating process that we all go through and, and we'll talk probably more about it, but um, yeah, I, I, as I've gotten older, I've noticed that I don't tolerate the heat and cold as much. And, um, but I found ways to work around it and runners, you know, they'll, we'll do everything we can to get out and run, but then there's, there's fair weather runners and that's great. And, uh, there is a difference from running outdoors and indoors in terms of foot strike and, and how it feels running on a treadmill versus say running outdoors. And so there is benefits of getting out in the winter and, and you can run the, the, the tech materials, the equipment now is just so much better than it was several years ago. We know so much more about cold weather and how our bodies adapt now. There's lots of studies out that show this. And so I think these are things that we can, even if you don't necessarily enjoy it, there are things that you can adapt to fairly quick within a week or two, and, and you'll notice start noticing some big differences. So I can share some of those as well. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the treadmill and also like, like if people want to run on a treadmill, that's totally fine. But I agree with you that there are definitely benefits to being outside, even like mental health benefits and like vitamin D and all of that stuff. But like your running is way different on a treadmill than it is outside. But let's get to that, like the acclimation process and um, what, yeah, what can you share? Yeah. So there's been lots of studies in in cold weather acclimation. A lot of them come from the military, actually, with with soldiers having to be out in all kinds of crazy conditions. Uh, there's a lot of um, studies that follow people who do polar and mountaineering expeditions, and there's lots of studies even in urban and rural populations of how do people, you know, how do we adapt to the cold weather? You know, we, you probably have felt times where, you know, in the winter time where one week you're really, really cold. And then the next week it's like, even though the temperatures didn't change, it feels like, you know, sun comes out and all of a sudden it feels like it's 50, but it's still 30. And, and that's adaptation that's, that's happening. That's the acclimation that our body has. And um, there's a couple different um, types of acclimation in terms of what it's doing to our body. There's these insulative changes. So these are, these are more longer term changes that, you know, we're not going to get for just being exposed a few weeks in the winter, but this is people who have long-term exposure to cold. This is a lot of um, indigenous people in the Arctic, you know, that, that develop body fat and, and certain types of body fat that, that respond well to cold. And there's a lot of circulatory changes that help divert the blood away from the skin to try to keep our, our core temperatures up. And, and so those are changes that are a lot slower, but there's, there's also quicker changes. These are more metabolic changes. This is the, the shivering, right? The thing that we all dread when we go out on a cold day and it's cold and you just have this shivering and it's our body reacting um, to something known as, is vasoconstriction. It's our blood vessels tightening up and trying to conserve and, 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 and using the, the, the muscles to, to generate heat through a process that's known as thermogenesis. And all that means is it's the creation of body heat and it's our body reacting to the cold weather and going, "Uh Oh, we gotta, we gotta stay warm here. And the shivering is our early signs and shivering is actually good. It helps generate body heat, but obviously too much shivering is not good. Um, But it's this process of shivering. It's this process of our body reacting to and being exposed to cold weather it actually teaches our body to adapt to it and to adjust to it. And so that our, we don't shiver as much and we don't notice that our brains, the reason why we shiver is our brain actually has sensors um, on the back, actually in the upper spine and the back of the neck. And there's just something called, um, I try to remember the name. It's brown. They call it brown fat, but it's, it's brown adipose tissue. And it's, it's basically regular fat, but it's got extra like mitochondria and, and cellular um, things in it that have little, these little energy factors that generate body heat and there are little neuroreceptors that are that detect cold and since it's around the back of our neck and the base of our spine i don't know if you've ever noticed this but if you ever get cold one of our first reactions is we pull up our jacket or we pull up our hood mm-hmm. or we a scarf around our neck and we almost instantly feel warmer yeah so we really warm up we just tricked our brain and so those are some things that our body adapts to and we learn that when we're exposed through these cold that our the receptors don't get as as strong or as a they don't fire as fast they they slow down and, and we don't feel as cold um so a lot of times these shivering and this cold feeling we feel is very temporary mm-hmm. 
it, just you going through the, all of that, it just reminds me again, like how magnificent. That's such a dumb word, but like, like our body, our bodies are so smart and we kind of forget that. I just had someone on the podcast, Lacey, who um, recovered from an eating disorder and was learning, like going to school and like learning anatomy and learning about like all of the mechanisms that your body has to keep you alive, help you survive and help you thrive. But like, like we forget, like we, or we don't even know how smart our bodies are. Yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, one thing I do want to kind of caution that, that, that running in the cold from a safety perspective is generally healthy for, for most adults. Um, but if, if someone has hypertension or high blood pressure, if they have heart disease, that constriction of the blood vessels that happens can actually be you know harmful or put you at a slight or higher risk. So if you're someone who has a tendency of high blood pressure or heart disease, you should probably talk to a doctor before you go out running in the cold. Um, obviously, it, it depends on how long and the intensity of the cold and how long you're out there and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but you do definitely want to be somewhat careful. Generally speaking, with the exception of things like frostbite and hypothermia, which are, again, can be very serious if we you know, get wet or we get injured. I've had a couple scenarios where I've been stuck out in the cold and, <laughs> and maybe not to the severe level of, of hypothermia, but I, I was concerned a couple times. And, and so you just got to be careful. It generally is safe. Usually with the cold weather running, it's not the cold as much as it's the darkness and, and not being able to see where you're stepping. It's the ice. That's when it's icy or the snow gets deep, you know, bring the, just skip the workout. You, yeah. There's things outdoors, right? Um, so even though I talk about like, yeah, I love running outdoors, but I'll tell you, I'm not going to run in an ice storm. If there's ice on the ground, if there's snow on the ground and the snow's packed down or the snow is, you know, uh, within a few inches, it's not like a foot. I'm not going to go run in a foot of snow. Like it's like running on sand, our feet aren't going to be used to it. We're just asking ourselves to get injured. <laughs> but if the snow is packed down, it's a nice hard packed snow and you can get good traction most of the time with, with running shoes or even adding some yak tracks or some of the other things that slip over your shoes. But I don't even run with them anymore. It's like, I, I, I found that those are, those are great when, when it's all snow and it's all packed down. But if you got periods of like, Oh, there's a little bit of snow here. And then it kind of, melted and dried out here all of a sudden you're running on pavement and you're like these things they're just as dangerous i think as not wearing them um but yeah i think you got to watch you know you got to be safe when you do it um but there's things that we can do to to make running a little more comfortable for sure Mm -hmm. can you go back i missed that so there are things that you put on the bottom of your shoe to give you traction and they like cleats like like portable cleats or what are they they, um, they're, well, one brand, it's, it's a brand. Um, there's a couple brands out there. The, the brand that I think is most well-known is called Yak Tracks. I think it's Y-A-K-T-R-A-X. Um, it's a rubber kind of a, a slip over the top of your running shoes. And then on the bottom, they have um, springs. Some, of, some brands will have like little spikes. And all it does is it, as you're running and your foot lands on the ground, you, we push off on our feet and it gives a little bit more bite into the snow. And so, uh, I used them early on with my running when I'd go running through the neighborhood. And I did notice that I had better traction. My foot didn't have like that little half inch slip that sometimes happens when you're running on snow, there's a little bit of give. It seemed like it gripped really well where it doesn't work is on pavement. If you get dry pavement, it feels really awkward running on it. 
your foot strike gets a little kind of weird because you're trying not to, you know, it feels like you're sliding a little bit or if it's on ice, if it's just flat ice, they don't help very much. <laughs> so, so it's really, I found that in reality, at least around here where I live, the, the, the days that you have that would match that are pretty slim. It's usually, we, we get either a lot of ice or it's just really cold and windy, but we have good surface conditions. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned the part about like, <laughs> it's okay to skip your workout. Like it's okay to not run. Like, and I think that that's like, we want to encourage people to like be outside and also know, like know when, no, this is, these are unsafe conditions. I just need to go inside or I just need to be on a treadmill or there are times like if it like, oh, I, I'll just walk. Like this feels dangerous to run, but I feel safe that I can walk during it and just get outside and do something. Yeah. I'm, I'm real big about, first of all, be safe, right? Like live to run another day. Don't get injured. Um, but I, you know, also I think there's times where we can be wimpy <laughs> and we're so used to the nice indoor temperatures and staying warm and you know, being able to throw on clothes that sometimes I think you need to get out and, and challenge yourself a little bit. But, but yeah, they, there's days, I think we focus so much on training plans. We focus on all, I have to run this day because some arbitrary number showed up on my calendar today. The reality is, is you don't, you can move things around. You can shift things around. I always say a training plan should never be a contract. It should be a guide. And I have no problem with the people I coach just saying, look, if today's not good weather conditions, that's fine. We'll move your run tomorrow. We'll adjust your schedule. The big thing is, is there's stuff you can do inside. Most runners, like we want to strength train and we should strength train, but we always, that's usually the first thing that goes with runners. It's like, ah, I'll get my run in, but I may not get my strength train. Guess what? You can get a good cardio workout with strength training. Just turn your exercises into a circuit and, and, and you can get your heart rate up. As long as you're getting your heart rate up for 20, 30, 40 minutes or so, you're fine. You, you didn't miss the run. Other things I found is that a lot of runners will run too much and, and sometimes taking those days off, they come back stronger because they recover and, and yet I, this is my style, the way I coach, but I have no problem if somebody's like, look, it's icy out. I've had runners who had to miss a week, sometimes two weeks because the weather conditions were sub zero and icy or the snow was too deep. We just changed the workout. We focused on nutrition during those two weeks. We focused on rest and recovery and self-care mobility, flexibility, all the abilities <laughs> that we tend to, to add. And, and they never missed a beat. They never went out and, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to run that half marathon or 5K. It, it, they were fine. And our runner brain is what makes us <laughs> um, sometimes make bad decisions. But, but yeah, they take that time off if you need it. If, you know, be safe first and, and make sure you have a safe place to run and, and be well lit and and have, you know, the lights and the Knox gear and the, the equipment that's going to make you visible. And, and, but, you know, get outside if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the clothing. So you talked about like things to make you visible. What else is really important during uh, winter for, as far as what you need to put on? Actually, before we go into that, um, I do want to cover on the acclimation process. Oh, yeah. There's some things we can actually do that I think is even more important than the clothing to some degree. Um, so, for example, the one of the things that's really clear in the studies, especially with the studies that they've done in the military and some of the cold weather expeditions, is that most 
all adults, we can acclimate to some level. We can get to the point where the temperatures don't feel as cold. In that process, we can see it as early as a week. Um, and somewhere in that two to three week, we can acclimate and it'll feel 15, 20 degrees warmer than what it actually is. And there's ways to speed that up. Um, but, the, you know, just getting out two, three, four times a day, even if it's only for a few minutes each time, I uh, one of the tricks that I do is I go get the mail. It's my job to go get the mail. Um, it's not that far of a driveway, so it's only out for a couple minutes. But I won't put on a jacket. I'll just go out the front door and and short sleeves and get the mail. I'll take the dog out you know, several times a day. We have a new puppy. I'll take the dog out. I won't be wearing a coat because I know I'm not going to freeze during that five, 10 minutes, but I'm exposing myself to cold weather. And I came across that one again, when I was out working on weekends at the track and, and I noticed that after a week or two, once the weather turned that, it didn't feel cold to me. It's it's like you can see, like if you ever watch those Alaska shows, I love those Alaska shows. They're wearing shorts and they're wearing t-shirts and it's like 50, 40 degrees out. And to them, it feels like a sunny summer day. And and so we can experience that too. The problem is, is we spend too much time indoors and we're, we're throwing on, you know, we'll throw the jacket on because mom told you, so ever go outside, you'll catch a cold if you don't throw a jacket on. But you can, if you can get yourself, you know, turn the temperature down in your house a couple degrees, right? You'll save money. You know, the rest of your family will complain because they're cold all the time. But, you know, just slowly expose yourself to scenarios. Uh, I remember driving to work back when I actually had to go into the office pre-COVID. <laughs> um, you know, just keeping the, the, the car heater turned down. Not cold to where I was miserable, but just cool. And um, these were all things that, that we can do. Just invoke that shivering um, response. That shivering response, if you can go out just for a couple times a day um, for just even if it's just a few minutes or go out for a short walk, go walk around the block and, and get cold. And what will happen is, is you will adapt. Well, your body will start to learn that, OK, you're going to be all right. You won't have the the shivering will go away and, and you'll be fine. And the other thing you can do if you really want to speed it up, although I, I'm not going to be so I'll be first one to say I won't do this. Um, cold water immersion. So take a cold shower. I, I'm not going to do that. It's miserable. It's excruciatingly miserable, but you can speed up the process by taking cold showers and it does the same thing. So the, the biggest thing is, is, is air temperature or water temperature are, are kind of the types of ways that we can influence and, and, and trick our body into, to, to getting adapted. Um, but also the intensity, is it something that we're just intermittently, doing or are we continuously out in the cold people who work outdoors year round they get adapted much stronger and much faster than someone who is like what this this the tips that i'm suggesting the tips i'm suggesting is probably the normal person who's got an indoor job or is working at home during the day we just don't get out that much um so those are some things you can do and you will notice within a week or two that it doesn't feel as cold and that breathing Right. We talk about some people will say, oh, it hurts when I breathe, it hurts when I breathe, when I go run in the cold air. And that's because of the same thing. Our, our lungs are like little tubes. Right. And the air goes through them. And when the air is cold, they constrict. Uh, that's why when the weather gets really, really cold, we are running slows down. It gets harder to breathe. It's a little it's kind of the same thing happens in the summertime, too. When the weather gets hot, it's you know, we we have the same issue. That's because all the blood's being diverted 
towards the skin and so away from our muscles. But what's interesting is, is, is the air's drier in the wintertime. If you're dehydrated, your lungs are a little bit drier and the cold air is not as humid and it will irritate your lungs and you get that kind of that burning, achy feeling. Um, and there's a trick to get around it. Um, it goes away after a few days. But one trick is start your warm-ups indoor, right? Start indoors, get your heart, um, you know, heart rate going up. Start doing 10, 15 minutes of some sort of exercises, uh, dynamic exercises. Get that heart and lungs and stuff going, and it will warm up your body. As your body warms up, your core temperature rises, and then continue the warm-up as soon as you go outside. So you go outside instead of going right into the run, which is what most of us do. We go right out of our warm house, out onto the street. We go for the run. We haven't warmed up. So our lungs aren't warmed up. So the air is going to be that much more of a shock to us. So continue that warm up outdoors and then start the run. And I think what you'll find is, is you'll find that that burning hard sensation in the, in the lungs also gets better. And also you'll be less likely to to get injuries, right? Because our, our muscles are cold. We're, we, we need to warm them up and our lungs are no different. So those are a couple of things I just wanted to mention before we jumped into yeah. the, the fabrics is that these are things that we can all do with very little time. Right? We, and we can do them even if we're not going out for a run. We can take the dog out, take, go out and play with the kids for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, get exposed to that cold. We just have to be uncomfortable for short periods of time, but the payoff over a week or two is going to make us so much better for it. And you'll learn to actually combined with the clothing that we'll talk about here um, and the gear we'll talk about, it can actually be comfortable and enjoyable to run in the cold. Once you get past that. Yeah. I was going to say too, like when you were talking about like exposing yourself, I was thinking of exposure therapy and it's just like the more that you can, there's this big thing that you're afraid of. Oh my gosh, I'm so scared of that thing. And it's like, we'll just expose like a little bit, a little bit at a time so that you going out. So like, even just like psychologically, cause I think that's a big thing for me. And for a lot of people, we build up all of this fear about how miserable it's going to be. And then we like keep perpetuating this story and it makes it so hard to even go to the front porch. But if it's like, no, you do have to go to the end of the driveway to get the mail. And you do have to do that a couple of times a day, or, you know, it makes it, it makes winter, less miserable. It makes it more tolerable. Yeah. I remember taking the trash out, you know, and dragging the trash cans out. Same thing. I'll do it with no shirt. <laughs> do it with a shirt, no jacket. That, that, that would freak my neighbors out, but we would go out. I take the trash cans out. And by the time I'm coming in, I'm literally shivering uncontrollably. And my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just too lazy to put on a jacket. And, and, but I know it's helping me, right? Like I know it's, it's doing something good for me and, and, and exercise, I, I always say exercise shouldn't be uncomfortable to the point you hate it, but you do have to push yourself. Um, if you're not adapting to the cold or as soon as spring happens, when the weather warms up, you're going to lose it. It's like when you go out and you exercise a muscle and you stop exercising it. What does it do? It gets weaker. It gets, um, but you know, so much of exercise and this is really where I've kind of changed philosophies over the years as a coach. I used to be so much, oh, it was all about the training plan. It was all about making sure my paces are right. The reality is for most runners is it has zero, I wouldn't say zero, it has less to do with the physically what to do. It's mental. It's do we have the right habits? 
Um, I know, for example, you, you do a lot of the, the anti kind of diet, restrictive mm-hmm. diet culture and more of, um, you know, because we've, we've talked about that in the past, yeah. but it's kind of like we, we, we tend to take things into extremes. We either take it into the extreme of it's a positive, like, well, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to lose all this weight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run and I'm going to run a marathon. And it's only been, I've only been running for two weeks, but I'm going to do it anyways, because, you know, we get that sudden motivation goal and it comes on with a lot of us with intensity. The opposite is true. We can also have just as much equally pushing back and going, it's raining out. I think I'm just going to skip my workout or it's cold today, or it's a little bit windy. Um, You know, sometimes if you don't push your comfort level, we've always heard this, right? The comfort level is kind of a, a, a weird place. It's like, you got to push against it. We're always going to resist everything we do. And that's one of the hardest things I have, even with like middle school, high school kids. I see kids who are extremely talented. We're, we're talking five minute mile talent um, at the middle school level, which is rare, but I see them. And you see the difference between them isn't necessarily the fact that they're a better skilled kid. They come at it and they're like, well, I don't see it as being uncomfortable because I look at it and I'm going, that looks like the most miserable, uncomfortable, like 400 meter, 800 meter runners. It's a hard race. That's why I don't like 5Ks. If I was going to race 5Ks, it's uncomfortable. Now, if I'm running 5Ks for fun, it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm also so much older now that I don't run for racing anymore, but... I do it for fun. But what I see with the difference in the kids, it's not the talent. It's not the natural skill they have. It's their mindset. I have a 13-year-old girl who will be a will – be, she may not be a state champion. I don't know. I can't predict. But she will be easily a district regional finalist, and she trains. And I'm like, like you know, is everything all right? Because I don't like pushing – like with that age, you really don't want to push kids too much. You want them to have fun. But she enjoys it. She's like, I embrace it. She goes, I love it. She goes, I love that feeling, right? And it's kind of weird, you know, when you look back and going, I wasn't like that as a 13-year-old, right? Like, she's special in some way, and, and she's learned, and she's, she's just something in her, uh, I don't know if it's her upbringing or if it's just her personality, but, but she's like, yeah, she goes, I, she goes, I know this is doing, doing the right thing for me. This is, this is going to change me. This is going to make me a better runner and a better athlete. And, and I'm just going, I learned so much from this girl, like, you know, yeah. she's 13, right. Like my kids, when they were 13, I couldn't get them to clean up their dishes. It was like, <laughs> but, but I think with, 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 to get back into whether it's running, whether it's diet, whether it's nutrition, whether it's the habit, the habit of exercise is so important. The there's, you're never going to have the motivation. Uh, motivation comes and goes. There's different ways, levels of motivation. Some things are I'm motivated by how somebody views me or I'm motivated by the fact that I know that if I go out and run in the wintertime, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to develop a stronger mindset. I know that my body, because of what we're learning tonight and, and other you know, people sharing information, is that we can do this stuff. People do hard things all the time. You know, I don't know why. We'll, we'll do hard things at work when somebody's paying us. But then when it comes time for us to do hard things for ourselves, we have that resistance. <laughs> maybe it's because, I don't know, maybe because I had to work all day and I'm tired. But, you know, those are all things that I think we have to get over. Even, you know, it, it doesn't have to be performance-based. It just needs to be sometimes there's a great satisfaction of going out and I'm out there running and I'm doing like three or four miles 
And people are driving by going, look at this nut. <laughs> like, who is out here in an ice storm running? I am. <laughs> Just because I had to get out of the house or, you know, I knew it was it, it was going to pay off for me. So those are things I think that, that we have to get past our mindset and say, look, I know it's cold out. It's miserable. I would rather sleep in this morning. But guess what? If I go out, I can run a mile. And if I don't like it, I'll give myself permission to turn around. Right, that you've heard that other people have mentioned that I didn't come up with that, but it's true. It's the hardest parts taking that first step out the front door, especially when it's cold. Yeah, fact, I, you know I'll be the first to admit I'm not perfect at this. Like I really struggle getting out the door. Like and and even on good days sometimes I struggle just getting out the door. But I found that the more I do it and the more I force myself past that unpleasant feeling or past my own brain, the easier it gets on the other days. So we train right. our brain. Yeah. And I think that like, it's, I, I call it to, with my clients. I'm like, you have to deliberately practice this thing and you have to nurture this habit because you're not going to want to do it. And you're, there's that excitement when you first start it and then it's 25 degrees outside and you don't want to be out there. And it's like, you still have to go do it even if you don't want to. And I think for me too, I think like when we like moved back from Atlanta to Chicago and experiencing Chicago winters again, because I was so used to Atlanta winters, but like experiencing being inside all winter and like hibernating all winter and thinking that that was going to make things better. Like it just made things worse. Like it, I just felt awful all winter. So as miserable as it is to like be outside running, it's, it's more miserable to watch Netflix for 13 hours a day for four months. I mean, and there's really strong studies that talk about exercise through the winter and the whole idea around winter depression. And, and, and it's real. I, yeah. I, we're getting ready to go through daylight savings time at the time of recruiting us. And we were talking about this before the show is it's so hard when you get up and it's dark. And then when you get off work, it's dark. And I work at home and my office is in a basement, so I don't even have a window. And it's depressing and, and, and exercise is a very strong, um, can be a, a strong antidepressant. It can be part of therapy programs and I'm not here to counsel people. That's not my, that's beyond the scope, but it is important that you get out and move. Movement is extremely important. And um, that breath of fresh air, that vitamin D doesn't take much, a little bit of sun. You know, of course, when it's where we live, it feels like it's cloudy all the time, but you're still getting some. Right. And so you just got to you just got to get out there and move and and, and you have to fight that. And, and you got to find if you can't do it yourself, you got to find somebody who can motivate you um, and hold you accountable and simply putting something on the calendar and saying, I will meet you tomorrow at 7 a.m. And we're going for a run or we're going for a walk or or we're going to go for a bike ride or whatever it is to get outdoors and get you moving. You got to do it. It's it's that important to our health. It's that important to our well-being. And you're going to feel so much better. And then the more better you feel, the more likely you'll do it because you can get in this trap. I've been in this trap where I go through phases and I won't exercise. And you don't even notice it, but it sneaks up and it really drags you and holds you in. And it's a really hard cycle to break out of. I've, I've had times where I've been in this funk. I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through it. And it took an external person calling me up randomly who had no idea I was in that funk say, Hey, let's go for a run tomorrow. We haven't seen each other. We'll go get coffee afterwards. Okay. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, where was this last three months? And all of a sudden I'm back into it again. And it was, it was an external source that, that pulled me out of it. And so 
sometimes being recognizing that I really struggle with running outside or I really struggle with running at all. It doesn't even have to be cold weather. It can be diet. It can be nutrition. It can be whatever, but get somebody that can be on your side and, and help each other. And so, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I think that that like, I mean, that goes back to like why the pandemic has been so hard because we're humans and like we need human connection. And even if you're an introvert and I like I, there were parts of 2020 that I was like, this is great. I don't have to see humans in real life. I love this. And then I was like, oh, everything crashed and burned. And I was like, I do need to be around humans. But that like the same thing for me, I was telling my one of my clients um, about how. I don't like running. <laughs> I don't like running. I don't like running in the cold weather. And she's like, really? Like, I just assumed you loved this and you, you know, you were excited. And I was like, no, it's like a love hate relationship. And I would guess that is the same way for a lot of runners. But like the thing that I committed to over winter is joining a run group, having a running coach, having, you know, a time that I'm supposed to be somewhere because the truth is, no, there's no way I would go and run 12 miles, 12 miles by myself on a Sunday. Like that's not, not in winter, at least it's not. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a misconception. We see like, we see runners who are professional runners. We see people who are podcasters or write book authors, whatever. And you think, oh, they, you know, they never have these problems. Guess what? They all have these problems. We all have these problems. I, I, I knew that I couldn't do strength training on my own. So I hired a trainer. I joined a class. I, I did things that forced me to do it, or I knew I wouldn't do it. I knew I should do it. I coached my clients to do it, but they have me to kind of push them. I didn't have anybody to push me. And so I think, I think we all have to realize that we don't always feel like doing stuff. <laughs> and, and, and we kind of have this natural thing that wants to push us back. I mean, 2020 was a super hard year for my family. My wife fell and shattered her shoulder. She has MS and she lost balance and had a surgery and stuff. And so there was a three month period of time where we didn't leave the house. I mean, other than I drove to pick up groceries, but we didn't leave the house and it was an early late winter and, it was, and I wasn't running. There was three months where I lost running. And then when I got back, I'm going, Oh my God, I'm starting from scratch again. <laughs> like, it was just like, I, I almost wanted to be like, if, if I didn't have the podcast, if I didn't have coaching clients, if I didn't have people who were expecting me to show up, mm. I probably would have gave up. Like I, as much as I love running, like I was out of the habit. I was down because I wasn't running. Right. I fell into my own, in some ways, self-pity. And I was just like, I could give up right now and I probably would be okay. <laughs> it was just, that's, but that's, those common phases. And if you can push past that and you can break out of it, then that habit and you just the fact that we feel better when we exercise will eventually carry us on through those times where we don't feel like it. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that too. Cause that's another thing that has been something for me too. Like I've made running a part of my identity. So there is this, like, I want to uphold part of this identity cause it's in it's a little embarrassing to have a podcast about running and not be running. Like, and there was a time that there's actually been several times during this podcast where I was like, I'm, I'm not running right now. And it's, it is like, ah, oh, I, I want to be, but I can't get it. But like, it feels good to uphold that identity. It feels good to be like, yeah, actually I do this thing that I talk about. It, it was the whole reason I did the podcast. I, I had no desire to become a running coach. It, it happened and naturally it happened because I started, you know, I, I, I started a running club because 
I needed people to run with. I needed people. And I knew that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't do it. I knew that if I, and, and I started blogging and I started writing and this is, some of this was even before the current run buzz site. I had a previous podcast and it was about marathon training. I own, I wasn't coaching then. I was purely documenting my experience and people would be like, well, why do you do that? Why do you want to be a podcaster? Like, I don't know if I didn't do it, I wouldn't follow through with it. I know myself. Right. Yeah. And so, and then it became, oh, well, I really enjoy coaching. I love helping other people. I love this mentoring and coaching. In fact, I loved it so much. I changed my entire career. I walked away from a 20 years plus year IT career to teach other people how to learn how to program and do stuff. And so this isn't my full-time job, but it's my full-time passion. And so I, it's my outlet and, and stuff. And, but I, I agree with you. I go through phases where it's like, man, I would much rather just not get up and go for a run, but I know people are counting on me. I know on Saturday, yeah, I'd like to stay and watch that football game, but I know I have obligations to athletes and, and I really, I live through them so much because like I said, I, I get, I get goosebumps when an athlete texts me and goes, Hey, I PR'd, right. I'm like, because as I'm winding down, I'm, you know, my, my athleticism, you know, I'm in my fifties now. Um, I still will plan on running for the next 20, 30 years. It's not a giving up running thing, but I'm also noticing that I'm slowing down. Things hurt a little bit more. It's a little harder to get out of bed. Um, but you know, it does it, it, that's the problem with, I think it's the, it's the blessing and the curse of having the identity of I am a runner. And this isn't just us. This is everybody listening. We have this identity. Runners have a very strong identity to, to running. Um, cyclists have a very strong identity to cyclists, triathletes, same thing, bodybuilders. It doesn't matter. We identify whether it's our jobs or whether it's our hobbies. That's what we identify with. And that's a good thing. Um, but it can also be a negative thing because we put so much pressure on ourselves to live up to an identity that nobody else really cares about. We think everybody's watching us. We think everybody cares. Like, you know, I, I know there's probably people who look at me and go, okay, you're not living up. I've had people challenge me. I've had athletes challenge me that I was coaching. Like you are not living up to the identity of a runner. I see you sitting there drinking a beer, watching a football game and eating chips. I'm like, guess what? I have a life. I want to enjoy my life. I'm going to take some time off and, and do whatever. I'm not, I can't be in a running role all the time. Um, I, I don't want to live a life like that. And so we just have to, we can't use it as an excuse, but we should be able to enjoy things. We should be able to eat what we want, right? Maybe not everything we want, but we should be able to not get all crazed out because, oh my God, I didn't eat salad today. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that, in your world um, more than mine. But that's the thing that I found with working with athletes. It's very, we care about our pace. We care about our shoes. We care about all these things that they do play an important part, but they're our brain, our well-being, our, you know, our intrinsic, the thing that drives us to be healthy. That's far more important than what shoes you wear. I, I get asked, I hate the shoe question. What shoes should I wear? I don't care. I could care less what shoe you wear. Our Hoke is better or Brooks better. I don't care. Put some shoes on. Your shoes aren't going to make or break you. I can train you <laughs> to wear and, and run in uh, flip-flops if you really want. We can do it in a healthy way. It's all about building muscles in the right place and strength training and making sure you have reasonable training. Those things have far more impact to injuries than shoes. But that, are shoes important? Yeah, they're important. 
right? Unless you agree, think they aren't important, at which point you're probably right as well. Because for you, <laughs> that's why I don't care. Like the shoes constantly change. They, like, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with things like Costco. I can go into Costco and like, and, and love it one minute and hate it the next. I, it's the same thing with running shoes. I can love my shoes one minute. I hate them the next. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's, you know, gear, can, things like that are important. They can help us. But the reality is everything that we do to make us successful, we already have. We just have to tap into it. We have to use it. And we have to believe that you're going to be okay. Yeah. I I teach people how to build their own training plans. And they're kind of like, well, should I use this or should I use this? I'm like, guess what? Create some sort of resistance. Create some sort of overload on your body that you're not used to doing. Your body will adapt to it. Mm. There's different ways to apply that with training plans. But the training plan, again, is not a contract. Right. I, I don't even write training plans for clients anymore that are longer than two weeks because two weeks from now, you're going to be in a different situation than you are now. And so that's just my philosophy. It works for me. It works for the people I coach. But um, I think most people know what to do. It's our brain that keeps interfering. We're our own worst enemy. Yeah. We're going to talk more about cold running in a second, but I'm really curious about this. And I'm guessing part like a lot of it has come through seeing so many different runners and working with so many different people and just like aging and maturing and like your philosophy of like life in general. But like, was there something that made that switch where you're like, I just, I don't care about all that stupid stuff. Like (laughs) this bigger picture thing. Yeah. Um, 2016, I was running hill repeats and I, I had a partial tear of my plantar fascia. Mm -hmm. Um, I was off running for two years. I took me two cert- multiple surgeries, um, took me two surgeries. The first one wasn't really a surgery as much as it was, I think a science fair project for the doctor to scrape on the bottom of my foot. Um, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I was running a running club and I'm sitting there in a chair. I had, again, I had to show up because I had to run the running club and I sat there and why people went and trained. And I spent a lot of time reading and, and really trying self-reflecting and kind of having a, my own pity party about how it sucked to be me and a number of things. And, and what I found is I, I became very observant. I spent a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time with sports psychology and understanding like the, the habit cycles and, that's not what they taught me when I went, when I first started out coaching, when I first started coaching, it was all about, well, tempo run needs to be at this percent of heart rate and this needs to be this. And you need to have this many. And, and I started looking around, I'm looking around at everybody that was you're coaching and stuff. And it was never what they were struggling with. They were always struggling with getting out the door. Yes. Right? I was yeah. never, I was a late runner. So I was never a competitive runner. I, I didn't start running till my mid thirties and I started for health reasons. So I have a little bit of bias towards, living longer and healthier. And, and, and I've had some health scares along the way, you know, even before running that running helped. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so for me, I have a lot of that background and a lot of the people that I coach are in their thirties and forties who were not necessarily athletes in high school, or if they were a lot of times gone by. And so to me, it's about longevity and more about the, the positive things. Now at the same time, yeah, I love coaching middle school, high school athletes. Like I like that competitiveness because I can't do it anymore. And 
Um, I can be competitive with myself and I think all runners should be competitive with themselves. And, and, and I go through phases. I'll go through phases where like, Oh, I want to get fast again, or, Oh, I want to run halves again. And I want to get in the best shape ever. And then there's other times where it's like, after you've missed running for so long and you've, you've had setbacks, you learn to appreciate the the healthy running and the healthy attitude and the healthy, like I, I struggled for diet nutrition for so long um, that I sought help for it. Um, not as a, as a disordered eating type of thing. Although it was kind of was, I, I was habitual eating. I would eat every single night whether I was hungry or not, because I, that's what you did when you sat in front of the TV. So I knew that that was a trigger. So I just stopped watching TV and I found other things to do. Well, what did I do? I coached runners in the evenings, mm-hmm. did a lot of online coaching, right? And that immersing myself into it made me, healthier because of it. Um, now do I still occasionally watch TV? Yeah, but, um, it, it's, I don't give up my total life. Yeah. Um, but, but I think a lot of it had to do with just me going through phases. And, and I think every runner listening is going to go through phases where maybe they're more performance oriented this year. Maybe they're, maybe they're not, maybe they're more nutrition oriented. Maybe they're more strength training oriented. Again, I, 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 I could never stick to a strength training plan. So I had to sign up for a program um, that was a group fitness class that did high intensity training and it, and, and I loved it and um, you know, I continue to do it, but it's, it took those kind of behavior changes for me to change that. And, and when I saw that working, I go, Oh, it's probably going to help other people. And so yeah. the people I coach locally, I spent a lot of time, like our first couple sessions, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time, whether it's in person or over Zoom, really understanding, well, why, why, what went wrong this week? Like what went well this week? Like it's, it's just as much habit coaching and, and really tearing apart. Well, why did you feel that way? Like, you know, was it, you know, a lot of times people are just tired and fatigued. So, um, but anyways, yeah, there's a lot of things that, that changed and, and I've, I've written probably a thousand training plans. Um, back when I was, when I had the group coaching, the, the pace builders program, which I don't do anymore. Um, I had physical therapist, a nutritionist, um, a strength trainer. I had several running coaches. We wrote tons and tons of training plans. Um, it was a great program because we had these other aspects to it, but at the end of the day, the people had issues sticking to it and it was always behavioral it was never technical. Yeah, there was technical questions and we certainly can help with that. But running coaches aren't, we're not taught that. I had to seek that out for additional training to realize that, you know, to change behaviors. And you know this more than I, you know, as much as I do, it's like, that's where it starts. And if you don't have that solid foundation, the rest is, is going to be hit and miss. It'll come and go and you don't get consistency. And so to me, it was more about consistency over time. Um, working more towards a direction of getting better in certain areas than it was about how many days per week I should run. This is like mind blowing. This is not what we intended to talk about, but I'm just like, wow, like literally the same experience that I had when I got my like health and life coaching certification. Um, Oh, like I'm just going to help people like pick what foods to eat and I'm going to help them. 
oh no, no, this has nothing to do with food. This has to do with habits and this has to do with behavior. And this has to do with, I loved what you said about finding a different outlet besides just eating and immersing yourself. I just did a podcast about that. Like, Hey, you need to eat well. And also you need to have hobbies. Like if you have hobbies, then it removes the trigger. But like Steve, like, wow, this is great. I learned all this the hard way. Yeah. Right. Yes. (laughs) And, and, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Like it's, it, it's, uh, it's not something that I fell into. It was not natural. It, you know, I resisted my own. But again, I, I was in a scenario where I had a couple years of my whole ind- identity was tied around running. And I was right in the middle of the, the best years of the podcast and my coaching and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and here I was sitting on a sideline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, serving people and, and, and coaching is, is, and this is the the problem I have with, again, I, I think run certifications are great. I think all this is great. You need to have a basic, very basic level, but this is the problem I have with training plans is training plans are one dimensional. Mm-hmm. They're important. They keep you from, you know, things, but I think you also have to have a brain and be somewhat just self-reflective and, and self-aware enough to go, you know what? It's a little bit icy out today to get back to our topic. Um, I'm going to take the day off, right? I'm going to use this as a recovery day. There's other things I can do. I can work on in that hour. I can learn a little bit more about, you know, habits. I can learn a little bit more about um, strength training exercises that improve my core, whatever, right? But you can use it in your benefit. It's when you skip the workout and you sleep in or you skip the workout and you go eat you know, crap food or whatever, and you know, whatever. It's the things that when you don't make good use of that time, well, now you now you trade it off something. Mm-hmm. You've got a little bit more out of habit. But if you can take that same habit and apply it and redirect it to something else, maybe it's read a book on running. Maybe it's read a book on whatever you want. Um, but you're taking and you're shifting that to something that's still productive and it still keeps your brain engaged as if you were out actually running. I like that. Like that's a like, okay, if I'm not going to go run, I can do another type of movement or I can do something else that's related to running. So like it still is fresh in your mind and it still kind of upholds that identity. Like we talked about that a little bit. It's just in a different way and it gets out of that all or nothing. Like, okay, this is something that's in the middle that I can do. It's not ideal, but it's not nothing. One last thing and I do, because I do want to cover the layers thing. Yeah. One last thing I think that will help people is that when you do things like listen to a podcast or read a book or you immerse yourself into to learning more about the thing, the more you struggle with nutrition, the more you read about it. The more you struggle with running, the more you read about it. The more you struggle with your job, whatever that is, try to immerse yourself into it. Put, lean into it because what that does is it starts creating little connections in your neurons and your brain um, and, and your brain starts firing in different ways. This is kind of like a little bit coming a little bit from the, the self-help world and kind of the success world is like, you know, you become the things you think about, you become the things, the people that you hang around. Um, there's truth to that. And there, and there is science that backs up in, in brain um, science in terms of how we can change our thinking simply by creating different habits. The habit doesn't have to be running. Um, and, and that's really what's kept me in it all these years because I was the first person who would tell you I will never run for fitness or fun when I was 18 years old. I hated it. 
it was miserable. It, it wasn't until I was 35 and 36 years old and I had a health scare that I go, oh, I better get in shape, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and, it was, and, and I hated it even then. For the first six months, I cursed every step I ran until I ran my first race and something triggered. I go, oh, people are doing this for fun. And, oh, this is kind of fun, like the loud music and the crowd. And there's actually people cheering at me. Why? <laughs> like, you get caught up in that race. And, and that was for me became almost the endorphin and the addiction that I was seeking to replace things like poor eating. And maybe it was the food and sugar addiction or whatever, whatever addiction I had. Um, but it became, I reshifted it. And so what I've learned is, is that those days I don't feel like running. I'll go read a book about running. I guarantee you in 15 minutes later, you'll feel like running. Right. Um, and so if you can just act on that, you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll, you'll change your mind. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And it gets to the point now where we've been talking about it. I feel like going for a run, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it in the morning. But yeah. that gets me excited, right? We're talking about it and I'm going, oh, there's other things I could probably do. And I don't like, I don't have it all together. There's things I could be certainly working on. I that, but the more I start talking about it, I, I spend a lot of time learning about how to coach people, mm-hmm. how to do behavior change. Because why? Because I want to be a better coach because there's nothing more frustrating than to try to help somebody. And I can't, not that I want to make them do what I say, but I can't like, you see them like, did you do your workouts this week? No. Why not? Didn't have time. Well, why didn't you have time? Yeah, like, and they'd be like, I don't know. Like they can't put a finger on it. And, and if you really dig in and unpack it, there, there's a number of different reasons why that could be. But if you kind of reframe it and help people kind of think a little bit differently and how to use some little techniques and tricks, all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I can do this. And then it just builds. It's a snowball that just keeps getting bigger. And then sometimes these people like you got to hold them back because they get unstoppable. And you're just like, okay, okay, okay. We got to slow down now a little bit. You're going to hurt yourself. But yeah, I think it's, I, you know, it's, it's probably going to be something that I'll continue to, to continue to refine and every person's different, which is makes it so fun. Um, it's, it's like its own, everybody's a Rubik's cube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I want to just for listeners, I want to emphasize something that you said, it was very short, but it was very impactful. And you said that you, you were writing training plans, but the majority of people struggle to stick with the plan. And for listeners, I know a lot of listeners think that they're the only one that is struggling to stick with the plan. But the truth is that like every, like, no, like if you have an 18 week plan or you're working with sometimes people that are working with a personal trainer and they get like a, these are the workouts that I'm supposed to do. They struggle to stick to the plan. So you're not alone, but I think that kind of what Steve talked about with, you, you know, let's figure out how we can make it work. What's, what's not working? What habits do we need to replace? Like that's where coaching needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I look back and and I didn't come up with this. I mean, I look back and I just say, who were my most successful people that I've ever worked with and why were they different than somebody else? And and it was, again, it was reflecting on them and what they did and some of their personal habits, things that I wasn't necessarily even involved in and reading about, you know, other people and stuff and going, Oh, that's interesting. Like, like being a good observer, I think has really helped me kind of, dial in a little bit, yeah. but it takes a while. It, it takes a, it takes a month or so of really working with somebody to really kind of 
start putting all the pieces together. It's not like, Hey, if I work with Jacqueline or if I work with Steve, like it's going to all of a sudden magically next week, I'm going to be doing things perfect. Like no. I can tell you doing this for, for years. Um, what I can say is we get people pointed in the right direction and they're consistent, even if they're consistently every now and then not consistent, as long as you're kind of moving towards the same goal and moving towards that direction, you'll get, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. And that's what people, I think, they go, oh, I missed a run today. My whole, should I even run the half marathon now? Cause I missed the day. I'm like, yeah, run the marathon. Like, like one day's not gonna, mm-hmm. one day, a penny in a jar, right? Yeah. And each individual penny means nothing. But as you keep putting pennies in the jar over time, it builds up to something big. And I've even asked people, I'm like, look, every time you go run, put a penny in a jar, right? Again, it's totally, it's a mind. It's it's a, it's a silly exercise, right? It's a token, yeah. It's a little star, gold star. It's the gold star. Yeah, it works, and it it's an interesting little thing. Is you look back and you're like, oh, I have more pennies in the jar than I had three months ago. Yeah, and it, and it creates feedback. But again, that's just a, a silly little um, exercise that that sometimes works. Yeah. Okay. Cold running. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about okay. clothes. Let's talk about clothes. And cause that is a big thing. If, if you don't know how to, if you go outside and you're like, Oh, I will wear these, you know, leggings that I got, uh, that aren't meant for running. And you're like, Oh, it's very cold outside. What do you recommend when it comes to dressing for cold weather running? Yeah. So there's really, so we'll talk about in a couple different angles. One is there's layers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the purpose of what each layer does, there's three layers that, that I want everybody to kind of be aware of. And then the second thing is there's fabrics and, 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 and what makes up the clothing so that when you are searching for one of these types of layers that you're getting the right material in the, the, the jacket or, you know, pants that you buy. So we'll start with the layers. Um, you don't always need all three layers, but when the three layers are is, is there's the base layer. You've probably may have heard of like a base layer. Um, um, this is the keep you dry layer. This is the part that's next to your skin. This is the part that has, should have moisture wicking properties, right? So you want, you want material that can draw moisture away from your skin because as you sweat then your sweat cools, you'll get cold. So if you can draw, you know, the sweat and the perspiration away from the skin, what you want to do is you want to kind of have it direct outward to eventually the other layers that will then eventually allow that to escape. Um, so you want to avoid things like cotton, right? Cotton shirts, they hold on to, 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 to moisture and you get cold. You'll actually get colder by wearing them than if you were to not wear them. So, so this moisture wicking, that's the base layer. It's a very important layer, especially in really cold weather um, or weather that where if you, you stop exercising, you're going to get cold. Right. So you want to avoid that kind of clammy skin feeling <laughs> that, that you might get uh, because that will cool off really, really quick. And some of the most uh, uncomfortable positions I've ever been was out on a run. I sweat and then I had a shoe problem. I had a pair of hokas that cut the bottom of my foot and I couldn't put any. I mean, it was bleeding. It was a mess, <laughs> but I had to stop and walk seven miles back. I was on a 14 mile run and it was almost the halfway point. Um, by the time I got two, three miles turned around, I was on a trail and I was shivering so bad, my teeth were chattering. Um, and I eventually went off the trail and ended up calling somebody. <laughs> I, I flagged somebody down and borrowed their phone. I'm like, hey, you can come pick me up because I'm freezing. Um, again, it started out completely innocent. It was only about 35 degrees out. So it wasn't even like 
super cold. But anyways, base layers are important. Next one's the insulating layer. This is the keep you warm layer. Um, this is typically what most people would wear. Maybe um, you might on, on some days where it's not super, super cold, maybe it's just a, a, a putting a vest on um, and still in or keeping maybe, uh, you know, a good pair of running tights, um, a, a jacket with maybe an insulated liner. That's kind of the insulation layer. That's, that's about keeping you warm. And that's important. Obviously the colder, the more you need that. Um, so you need the base layer to get kind of the moisture out. Insulating layer is going to be made of materials that will keep you warm. We'll talk about those in a minute. Um, and then the outer shell, which is extremely important in weather. This is the protect you from the elements. This is what is going to make the wind not feel like you don't feel the wind. If you get the right materials, you, you, you'll feel pressure from the wind, but it won't feel like the wind is biting at your clothes, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, yeah, if it rains or snows, um, snow can get you wet really fast when it hits your skin or hits your clothing and melts. And so if you don't have something that's waterproof, so these are typically very lightweight that sit over the top of the insulate. And you can, by the way, you can get running jackets that have kind of insulating and outer shell um, together, but, but they should be windproof, um, waterproof, but it should also have vents and, and a lot of good running jackets. Um, Brooks makes really, really good running jackets. Um, they have like little vents under the arms or under the back where it won't let water or wind in, but it allows the, the heat and the moisture to kind of escape. Uh, if you just go to the you know, kind of a local department store and buy like a regular light jacket, it might give you that uh, protection against the wind. It might give you the protection in the rain, but it'll never let that moisture out from, from the sweat. And so a good running jacket will, will have that breathability to it. So those are the three layers. Now, what you're going to wear um, in terms of material, we talked about cotton has no moisture wicking ability. It absorbs moisture. It's going to stay wet. It's going to get heavy. Um, definitely don't wear cotton socks because your feet will sweat. Your feet will get cold. Your hands and feet usually get cold first. Um, so you want to avoid cotton. Other things like there's, you've probably heard of down jackets that's made of like goose and duck down. Those are great for warmth. Like if you're going to buy a coat to walk around, you know, town in. Um, but when it gets wet, it's completely worthless. Um, and, and so you kind of want to avoid those as well. Um, fleece, fleece, a lot of people will get fleece jackets. Um, they are fairly comfortable. Um, they have some insulation um, to them, some insulation properties. They can keep you warm. Um, they breathe well, it dries quickly. So um, the only thing is, is that, you know, if the wind goes right through them. So if you're, if you're going to wear like a fleece um, you might want to put like a thin outer shell over the top of it to keep the, the wind because otherwise it'll feel like the, if, if there's no wind, it can be great, but if there's a little bit of wind, it'll feel like it's cutting right through your clothes. Um, nylons, um, are again, there's more of a synthetic, synthetic material. They have, um, uh, oftentimes they're really super tightly woven. Um, they, they usually coat them with something to kind of make them waterproof. So they're really good for like, like a nylon jacket would be a good, like outer shell. You should look for an outer, outer shell that's made of nylon. Um, there's polypropylene, I think it's called. It's, that's the moisture wicking material. That's the kind of thing you'd want to see, um, in a base layer. So if you go like to Under Armour or Nike or Brooks, they, all the major, major vendors have base layers. Now I think Under Armour is kind of what 
they were famous for originally. Um, they're made of a lot of those materials that are designed to be the, the underlayer um, or the base layer. Um, Thinsulate's another one. Thinsulate's kind of interesting. Thinsulate is, um, is a synthetic material that's kind of very similar to down. It's very good for that insulation layer. Um, and because it's, it's a, it's a uh, synthetic material, it has a little bit of water resistance and, and sweat resistance. Um, the problem with it is, is that you, they don't last very long. You get a couple years out of them and then you have to kind of replace them or they, they lose that insulating property. Um, but those are kind of the, the major ones. We've heard of wool. Um, wool's great, except wool is uncomfortable. It, it's great about pulling the moisture away, but it kind of itchy. It gets, it's heavy when it gets wet. It's probably not something that you're going to run. If you're going out hiking or something in the cool and you want to put some wool socks on or, or, or something like that, wool can be great for that. So, so look for the, when you go to like a running store, you know, ask them, Hey, I need a base layer. I need an insulation layer and I need this outer shell. The, to me, the outer shell is one of the most important ones because if I can keep the wind and the, the, the weather off of me, mm-hmm. I can often stay warm enough underneath. And then I might put something on like a fleece underneath it. Um, you probably heard, you know, dresses if it's 20 degrees warmer. So if it's in the 60s, dresses if it's the 80s. So if, it, if the temperature is in the 60s, that's typically shorts, maybe a short sleeve shirt. Uh, you might be chilly when you first start run, but you'll warm up, right? If it's in the 50s, you might want to add a long sleeve shirt or maybe some arm sleeves uh, and, and even in some cases gloves if you get cold easy, if your hands get cold. Um, when it gets down in the 40s, that's when you're going to start putting on maybe tights, gloves, and maybe you're, you may maybe running in the base layer um, with a light, very light outer shell. Um, you want something that you can be able to take off. Right. If you get hot, you can take off the outer shell layer and, and, and kind of tie it around your waist. You know, when you get down in the 30s, you know, that's when you're going to start putting in your insulating layers. That's when you're going to start looking at um, maybe a, a little bit heavier a jacket. You might have a base layer. You might have kind of the fleece and then maybe an outer layer. Um, typically, you're wearing most people, unless you're you're one of those really hardcore people you see out there that run in shorts in the 20s and 30s. I don't know how they do it. Um, but you're going to want gloves and hats at that point, right? To keep your head warm. Um, if it's below freezing, then you have to start thinking about um, making sure that you're including all three layers. Again, uh, you know, good gloves, good hats. Um, maybe a, a neck gaiter or even a face. If it gets really cold. Um, you know, down in the, the tens and fifteens and twenties, um, you know, sometimes having a neck gaiter that you can keep your neck warm, um, maybe pull it up over your mouth so you can get kind of warm the air so it doesn't hurt the lungs as much. But you can go as cold as you want. I've run comfortably down to zero five below if there's no wind. Uh, as soon as the wind comes in, that's when I wimp out. And there's days where if it's seventeen and there's a little bit of moisture in the air that can feel like zero, right? So a little bit of humidity in the air can certainly change this and make it feel colder, but really that's, that's it is, is, is acclimate, get your body used to it. That takes about a week or two through just small exposures. Um, when it starts to get too uncomfortable, you can go back in, warm up hour or two later. Next time you gotta take the dog out, go pick up the kid at school, however you want to do it, get out in the weather and that acclimation combined with the right clothing is is going to really make it much more comfortable to run. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. 
Um, I was thinking about so this past weekend, I did my first long run for marathon training and uh, randomly it was six miles. I didn't know what it was going to be. Found out these people were training. They have, they're running New York. And so they, anyways, six miles. I was like, okay, I'm dressed warm enough, comfortable, had the, you know, the different layers. Um, hydration, <laughs> Steve, I, I didn't bring a water bottle and I was like, everyone has a water bottle on their hand and there were not w- water tables out there. Cause it was fairly short distance. Talk about hydration during winter um, and why you shouldn't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hydration is actually very important in the winter. The air is drier. Uh, as you breathe, you're breathing out more moisture. You're going to dehydrate faster in the winter um, in some conditions than sometimes you do in the summer. Now, summer, obviously, most of it's sweat. Um, but if it's not super hard and you're not sweating super much, um, the air is a little bit more humid. And so a lot of the the, the the moisture we we lose is actually in our breath, and and, and a lot of people don't realize that. And so it, it ties into why the runs again sometimes hurt our lungs. Um, now the first couple times, you know, the first week or so you're out running, your lungs are going to hurt because it's cold. They're just not used to the cold. Um, but you can minimize that again through through your drinking water. But um, yeah, you still have to hydrate in the winter time, and and it, again, it's it's not a you know, in the summertime, a lot of times it's the heat and the sweat and making sure that, you know, we don't have heat exhaustion and heat stroke and, you know, running in the heat's actually a lot more dangerous than running in the, in the wintertime, unless you get stranded somewhere, right? And hypothermia sets in. But, but for most of us, like heat injuries can come on really quick. Mm-hmm. I've had, I've had twice in my life where I've had serious heat injuries once running and once in the military. And it was scary because it, it was there, it was not there. And 30, 60 seconds later, I was, I was suffering. So, and there's not a whole lot you can do at that point, except cool off in the winter time. It's a little bit slower coming on. It's, it's, it's a different kind of a feeling, but um, yeah, you got to stay hydrated year round. Um, it'll impact your performance. Just 2% of hydration can impact your performance by 10%. So sometimes your legs don't feel like they're, they feel kind of heavy. They feel kind of sluggish. You just don't feel like you're having kind of an on day. A lot of, most of us, especially in the wintertime, because we're not drinking as much water. Typically, you know, we're, we're, we're drinking a lot, maybe more coffees um, and, and things that might you know, be expelling water. Um, but yeah, drink, you, you do need to carry water on the runs with you. I mean, unless it's a couple miles, but if it starts getting beyond that, you should be carrying water with you. Yeah. Yeah. This is so great. Um, it's just so good to talk to an expert, someone who's been in and out. I mean, you know, everything there is to know about running. Thank you so much. If people want to connect with you. Still learning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we all are. Yeah. But no, you're a wealth of information and where, where are the best places that people can find you if they want to learn more, if they want to work with you? Yeah. Um, runbuzz.com is, is kind of the blog and the home for the podcast. Um, I, I do a lot more, more now than I've done in the past. I'm really focused on writing a lot of articles. Um, I'm doing a lot with nutrition and meal planning and, you know, the different, some of the different things around it. I, I, I'm pushing stuff out fairly quick. I'm going back and redoing a lot of old stuff where it was more show notes in the past and was just not really written. So it, it's a big focus of mine. Um, I, I, I am doing some limited one-on-one coaching. Um, very kind of, again, it's more 
really into the habit and more into than it is just the rain. I mean, you get a training plan and we do strength training and a bunch of other stuff, but, but I'm really focusing on people who are really struggling with maintaining exercise programs all the way up to athletes who um, want to be competitive. And so it's, it's kind of a wide range, but I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's not my full-time thing anymore. Um, it's more of, of just me enjoying it. So I am, I do limited, limited coaches on a case by case basis. Um, but runbuzz.com, um, I do have a Facebook group at, if you search for runbuzz, the group is, is fairly active. Um, you know, my podcasts have kind of dropped off in 2020 again because of injuries and some other things with my, my wife and some personal issues. It, it, we've kind of dropped back a little bit, but the podcast is certainly a great place, a great resource. I have like 155, 56 episodes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the best places. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to have all the links to everything in the show notes so people can find you. Thanks again for being on the podcast. I appreciate having me on. Thanks you. And thanks for everybody that was listening. Thank you.